Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Today on the show, we are starting our rundown of the NFC West rival teams, and we're starting with the San Francisco 49ers. So joining me on the show today is Rob Stats Guerrera. He's Stats on Fire on Twitter. He hosts the SB Nation NFL show. You can also find him on the Niners Nation podcasts. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brandon. I'm I'm fired up to talk about this, but there's one caveat that I have to try and, and pass along to you before we get started too deep into this. I, All right. I'd like to try and conduct this interview without hearing the words, if healthy, in close proximity to one another. I, I know it might be tough, but I, I, I'm going to try and do that. All right. You're laying down the law early here, but I'll give it my best. It's not going to be easy, but I'll try. I just I I feel like every time I listen to a a 49ers discussion about the upcoming season, those are the two words that I hear most often. And I'm sure it's warranted considering the past few seasons. But, uh, you know, it's just a challenge. I thought I'd throw it out to you. Look, when your Super Bowl hopes die in week two, you get scarred. All right. That leaves a mark. It's hard to ignore that going forward. So yeah, it's it's going to be difficult, but I'll give it a shot just for you. The, the thing is though, when healthy uh and and that's the projection going into the season, I've seen the 49ers as high as number 2 behind the Bucks for uh, the odds for the NFC title, even the favorites to win the division as well. Does that feel right? Well, I mean, if you could tell me that everybody was going to play a full season, absolutely it does, because I think the roster is as strong for the 49ers as it's been in years, even maybe stronger than the Super Bowl year, to be honest with you. But obviously health is the biggest question mark, and nobody knows. And I think generally what the Niners have tried to do this offseason is not build a roster that's going to stay healthy for 17 games. It's build a roster with redundancies built in so that when guys do inevitably get injured and miss time, they have somebody that can come in and step up and keep the ship afloat. Because that's really what we saw last year. There were so many injuries that took their toll. They just couldn't keep producing enough good quality people to keep it afloat until some of the starters came back. One of the surprises, though, and this is a, a player who came over to the Seahawks in the offseason, was Kerry Hyder and had multiple sacks, almost double-digit sacks for the 49ers last season. When I look at the contract the Seahawks were able to get him for, Is that a product of the depth of the 49ers defensive line, or is that maybe they just didn't have the confidence that that they were willing to let him go to Seattle? I think it's a couple different things. One, it does speak to the depth the 49ers have on their D-line. That's one of the areas of strength for them going into the season. But it's also, they had something like 40-some-odd free agents this offseason, and they didn't think they were going to be able to bring as many guys back as they did. So I think they kind of just assumed like, hey, we can't bring everybody back. We love Kerry, but we think this is a strength of our team. So if we have to pick somebody to lose, it's going to be him. And it does provide the Seahawks with some needed depth on the defensive line. I was listening to you on the national show on SB Nation, and you guys didn't have positive things to say about the Seahawks defense. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, if you're basing that off of because, yes, the Seahawks defense at the well through the first half of the season really before Carlos Dunlap arrived was not good and and really it was going for historically worst defense of all time 
And then when Carlos Dunlap came back that second half of the season, I feel like one of the biggest questions is if the Seahawks, if that defensive line will look the same as the second half of the season or as bad as the, I can't, it can't be as bad as the first half of last season. Well, that's the thing. Like when you say, I'm glad you phrased it the way you did, because a lot of people say, yeah, they struggled early in the season. It's like, no, that wasn't struggles. Like you said, they were on pace to be arguably the worst defense in the history of football. And so, yeah, they got better the second half of the season for sure. But as I'm sure you heard me list on that show, they didn't exactly face a murderer's row of quarterbacks the last seven games of 2020. C.J. Beathard, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Sam Darnold, John Wolford, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. Those are not the elite of the elite. Now, was the pass rush better with Dunlop? Absolutely. But to me, I look at what we saw in the first half and the list of quarterbacks they faced the last seven games, and I say, yeah, they're probably better than they were in the first half of the year, but I don't think they're as good as they looked down the stretch last year. Yeah, and it is, I I suppose the quarterback is a function of that. I feel like they did face some pretty good offensive lines in that time frame, though, too. I think you have to take that into consideration. And that was one of the things I think that we discussed more so in the in the offseason recap of did the defensive line get better or did they just play worse teams? And and I guess with the answer with anything, it's a little bit of both. But I, I do have that question because it just it was such a stark difference in the types of quarterbacks that they face the first half of the season versus the second half of the season. You also had the offense putting up such big numbers in the first half of the season and just, you know, for whatever reason, the the defense wasn't able to close out teams and just I, I mean Pete always seems to let guy let teams back into it. Uh, he just wants to give Seahawks fans a heart attack at the end of every <laughs> game, and uh, I've I've learned to deal with that. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be a roller coaster again, but I I just I can't see the defense being quite as bad. Although there still are some major question marks. The fact that Akella Witherspoon is slated to be a starter for me is uh, it it doesn't. It doesn't fill me with a ton of confidence. Do you mean the guy that says he's the best cornerback in the league when healthy? That Akello Witherspoon? Which Apparently. is great, but when it, when have you been healthy, Akello? Uh, you would be able to tell me better than this. He was never the best cornerback in the NFL. I will say this about him. He has the physical skills to be really, really good. I honestly think what he needs is someone similar to a Richard Sherman on his team. When Akella Witherspoon plays with confidence, he's very, very good and can sustain that for stretches. But when things start to go bad, I think he kind of gets in his own head a little bit and it sort of unravels for him to the point where he got benched a couple times with the 49ers because he had a couple big plays on him and it would just snowball. If he has somebody there in Seattle that could kind of keep his head on straight, I think you could get a very productive player. And the one highlight I feel like I've seen over and over this offseason, because it's the one, uh, is him up against DK Metcalf, and he he jumps in. It's like a 10-yard shot to the sideline, and he jumps in front of it and, and bats it down. So he, he has one pass defense. And I, <laughs> I just I feel like I've seen that play loop uh, time after time this offseason. I, I want to see more Akella Witherspoon highlights. Where are they? Uh, Go to the second game, I think, against Arizona at the end of the year. He had a nice interception in the end zone. Kyler kind of threw up a 50-50 ball, kind of a fade, and uh, Witherspoon jumped in front of it and made the pick. It was a very nice play. That's like the other Akello highlight you can point to from last year. Um, But, I, yeah, I I think he can be a good player. I think that the the Seahawks pass rush 
can be improved. I like that Kerry Hyder is not the best. Like he's not the guy you're solely depending on for sacks because if he's your best guy, you don't have a very good pass rush. It's just unfortunately the best pass rusher for, for your defense plays safety. And that can be fine. Uh, it, it worked out well. He nearly got double-digit sacks last year. It'll be interesting to see whether or not he gets paid uh, or what he gets paid. I, I think he will because I don't think you can afford to not pay a guy that uh, you give up two draft picks for. But I'm fine with Jamal Adams. I think they're they're missing that type of leadership on defense. As much as there's some of the questions about him and coverage, I think there's that the leadership component that I think that because he's just he's a very different guy than Bobby Wagner, who's also been that team leader on defense. Yeah, Jamal is a very vocal person, very vocal leader. I think he can be a good leader. I just hate that he's not very good at his primary job. Like the sacks are great. That's awesome. But that's not what they pay you to do. You're not paid to be a sack artist. You're paid to be a coverage safety. And he's not. He just isn't. He's not very good at it. And so that's the thing that, and he's very sensitive about it too. Like, God forbid you bring it up or point it out. Now, maybe he can be. He claims that he was really kind of locked in and focused on the sack record last year for, for a defensive back. And that's why he got it. And he'll be better in coverage this year. And maybe he will be. But to me, when one of the highest paid people on my defense, or potentially one of the highest paid, like you talked about, is not good at his primary job, that's a problem. I think we'd be singing a little bit different tune, though, if he didn't have every single one of his fingers broken toward the end of the season. Because I think he <laughs> dropped like four picks uh, because of uh, not being able to hold on to the football with broken fingers. So you know, if if he finishes the season with nearly 10 sacks and let's say he, he only drops one of the picks and has three, I, I think we're saying a little bit different. Now, the, the PFF coverage grades maybe weren't great, but you look back and, uh, you know, his coverage... With the Jets, I, I don't think it was terrible. So I, I think he could be due for a bounce back in that area. Uh, maybe, you know, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a happy Christmas. Yeah, so maybe we'll the 49ers would have made the playoffs last year. Trust me, I live in the world of if. <laughs> like that, that is what sustained me this entire offseason. If they stay healthy, if Trey Lance is really good. I live in that world, so I'm there with you. I just, I we haven't seen it from Jamal, and until... He shows it to me. I'm not going to buy in, if well, that makes sense. You brought up one of the big mysteries, I think, going into 2021 for the 49ers. Which quarterback is going to start more games, Handsome Jimmy or Trey Lance? I mean, this is so crazy to me that we're even having this debate. You don't bring the new girlfriend into the house while the old girlfriend is still living there. And that's what the 49ers are doing with their quarterbacks. Cause Jimmy Garoppolo is still there. And yet here comes Trey Lance, the guy you traded three first round picks to go and get. And it's an open quarterback competition, basically in training camp, which is nuts to me. How do you mortgage your future to get Trey Lance and then say, Oh, but we're going to start Jimmy Garoppolo. If you thought Jimmy G was remotely capable of staying healthy and playing well enough, you don't give up what you gave up for Trey Lance. It's nuts to me. Jimmy shouldn't start, and I don't even think Jimmy should be on the team. But again, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about trying to build in redundancies. I think the 49ers like the idea that their backup quarterback is either Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo, as opposed to two trash bags and Nick Mullins and C.J. Beth. Not only is the new girlfriend in the house, you also hear 
your head coach on the Flying Coach podcast talking about the girls that he flirted with in the offseason <laughs> with Matt Stafford nearly coming to the team, too. Yeah, that is was the weird thing to me. It just proves that the 49ers were like, we're getting another quarterback. I don't know if it's coming from the draft. I don't know if it's coming from trades. They knew no matter what, they were not going into 2021 with just Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think they investigated Stafford. I mean, hell, they investigated Brady before they got Garoppolo. They investigated Brady going into last year, too. Like, they know what's up at that spot. And so I think it started with Stafford. And then once that didn't materialize, they really focused in on the draft. And when they did, they focused in on Trey, and he was their guy. But they knew just Jimmy G in 2021 was not going to fly. Do you think that Trey was the guy or do you think it was the move up to the number three pick that far in advance just to ensure that the third, whatever the third quarterback was that, you know, whether it was one of the top guys that slipped to him, if, if Wilson uh, was able to, cause that was the, the thing to me. I thought that they, with, with Robert Sala going to the jets, that they might have a little bit of insight to think, well, okay, maybe Wilson is, is going to be the guy who slips. Maybe they have somebody else in mind and they were just positioning themselves for maybe the second best quarterback, but at least the third. From everything I've heard, Kyle Shanahan would have done backflips if Wilson somehow slipped to the 49ers that he was the guy that he loved the most. Um, but again, that's rumor. We don't really know. But I think for sure, you don't move up from 12 to 3 if you're going to draft Mac Jones. You move up from 12 to 3 because you don't want to have to draft Mac Jones. That's why you make the move. Now, I think they were debating between Fields and Lance, and they were like, whatever, you know, we'll figure that out afterwards. But Kyle Shanahan talked about how when you're at 12, if you're, you know, digging deep into Justin Fields and everyone sees you at the Ohio State Pro Day and you're sniffing around him constantly, you're kind of playing, you know, you're tipping your hand a little bit. When you're at three, you don't really care because nobody else can really do anything about it. And so I think they like that aspect of it also. I never think they wanted Mac Jones. I think that was all media speculation that the 49ers were happy to let everybody else run with. I think it was between Fields and Lance, and they fell in love with Lance. I can see why people went to Jones just because it, it seemed like the safe pick. But when you talk about a, a dynamic player toward the top of the draft, it really did feel like Fields or Lance. And Lance was just kind of the more of the the unknown, having only played one game last season and having only one season under his belt. But then when you look at his ability to protect the football and you look at the way that that Jimmy has turned it over in some really weird situations, the pick makes a lot of sense to me after the fact. I just I don't know if I would have put money down necessarily that Lance would have been the number three guy going into the draft. Well, you mailed it with the turnovers. So it's not just Jimmy Garoppolo. It's anybody the 49ers have had a quarterback since Kyle Shanahan took over in 2017. The Niners are minus 35 in turnover ratio. That is the worst in the NFL. It's basically like Jameis Winston is your guy at quarterback, except you don't get any of the, the good <laughs> plays that Jameis makes. You just get bad Jameis. That's essentially what the 49ers have had at quarterback since Shanahan took over in 2017. And so I think that aspect of Lance's game, the fact that he only has one interception in his whole college career, albeit a short college career, was a huge factor because I think Kyle Shanahan thinks in his heart of hearts, if they just don't screw it up, I'll get them into the end zone. 
and they've just been taking the ball out of his hands so often. So there's that history of taking the ball out of Jimmy's hands, but then do you take that ball and give it to an unproven rookie to make things happen? Let's get into what the offense could look like next year with Lance at the helm. That's coming up next. We are running through the NFC West teams to preview the division going into the 2021 season. And I'm joined by Rob Stats Guerrera at Stats on Fire on Twitter, the host of the SB Nation NFL show. And we are previewing the upcoming season for the 49ers. And before the break, you mentioned that you expect Lance to get majority of the starts this year. So I'm wondering, what do you think this offense could look like? Is it going to be what we saw similar to Lamar Jackson and his rookie season from the Ravens and, and having primarily a ground attack? Or do you see it being more of a downfield passing offense? I think it will be a little bit more of a downfield passing offense. And it's one of the things I'm so excited to see because I want to see how Kyle implements Trey Lance into the into the offense. What he's talked about is basically the fact that the threat of the run forces the defense to have to account for the quarterback. So you play 11 on 11 instead of 11 on 10, essentially. And so I think what you're going to see from Kyle is you're going to see a bunch of RPO. You're going to see Lance on some design runs for sure. But what you're really going to see is him gash the hell out of defenses with the play action. I think he wants to run the ball with Mostert and Lance and then when you hit those play action plays, just gash people down the field with Kittle, especially with Brandon Ayuk, who I think they're really counting on to sort of emerge as their number one. I think that's the ideal for Kyle is bludgeon people with the run and then just pick up explosives, as he always calls them, with deep downfield passing on play action. It's one of the things that cracks me up is that as much as Pete Carroll gets a hard time for wanting to run the football you have Kyle Shanahan over there saying, I want to run it 500 times. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple differences. One, the 49ers have real. I mean, you saw in the NFC Championship game against the Packers a couple years ago. They can take over a game with the ground game. Um, but, you know, Kyle's also not taking the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands when he runs the ball. Like he's playing to his strength when he runs the ball. Pete's taking the ball away from his strength when he's not letting Russ throw the damn thing. Stats, I, I know that the offseason narrative has been, you know, the with the whole Russell Wilson stuff. The second half of last season, though, they did not run the football enough. There, there were so many times where the defense was just sitting back and waiting for Russell to throw. And and Russ was, I think, and I don't know if the dynamic was, you know, Pete being in his ear about not turning the football over. It just seemed like there was so much there was so much double clutching and and him second-guessing whether or not to go deep downfield. I, I don't know why the offense didn't shift, though, to, to be running the football more considering what the defense was giving them. And and I suppose this offseason, I feel like whether it's been from Tyler Lockett primarily uh, or, or through Pete and the offensive coordinator saying that they're going to take more of what the defense has given them. Let me ask you this because you probably have a better idea of it than I do. I was told by somebody that follows the Seahawks closely that essentially they didn't really let Russ cook in the beginning of the year. It was the defense has given up so many yards and points. They didn't really have a choice. They had to let Russ throw the ball as much as he did because they were giving up points and they needed to score. Whereas in the second half of the year, 
they weren't playing, you know, the defense was playing better and or they were playing worse quarterbacks. So Russ didn't have to throw the ball as much. And and so what happened was, like you talked about, that aversion to turnovers kind of took over and Russ maybe, you know, became a little tentative himself. I think there was a component to let Russ cook in the first half of the season because I remember games where they were up by multiple touchdowns in the, you know, late in the fourth quarter. And it was the defense allowing teams back into it. That was the the biggest reason why those games were so close. It wasn't that, you know, in, in previous years, it's more of first, second, third quarter. Okay, play somewhat conservatively. And then mm-hmm. you just let it fly in the fourth quarter. Russell Wilson comes back. He wins the game. And it was it was different than that than the in the first half of the season last year. So I think there there was a shift in terms of maybe maybe allowing Russ to control the tempo a little bit better. I, I remember commenting on just how much more advanced Russ seemed at at knowing when to kind of shift the tempo and and maybe go a little bit more up tempo. They're getting the play calls in, and that seemed to shift in the second half of the season too. So. It uh, and and maybe it was a factor too. Stats that the defenses that they played in the first half of the season weren't very good, and the defenses in the second half of the season were a lot better. I think that's part of it, and I think part of it too is like the defenses in the second half of the season are watching Russ drop these moon balls on people and just destroying people, and they're like, "Hey, we might get beat, but the one thing we're not going to let beat us." are those moon balls. So let's at least take those away. And like you said, maybe that does open up more opportunities for the run or for other things. But, you know, maybe Seattle just didn't take advantage of that as much as they could have. And that's one thing where I think Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll are both like lockstep on is both of them love the moon balls. Like (laughs) Russ wants to throw them. Pete wants to see Russ throw them. And so I think when that got taken away, I, I don't know if I think, Pete knew what to do or what he wanted the offense to do and whether or not that communication was getting to the offensive coordinator or through him to Russ or Russ just wanted to keep, you know, try and, and, and get back on the radar for the MVP race that it seemed like he campaigned for last offseason. And it just wasn't able to get there. And we've seen it the last time the offensive coordinator was fired. And we saw it now. I just watching the second half of the season, I, I feel like I could see it coming because it was a mirror image of the last few games with Daryl Bevel, where Russ just seemed to want to go off script with the offense and want to get the ball downfield and was happy. You know, we call them scribble plays. Uh, he, he was happy to take the scribble plays rather than working within the structure of the offense. That is the one thing that I'll point out about Russ and, and, It's when I get nervous. So I like to judge things like what would the opponent want me to do and what would they not want me to do? Like, perfect example. I'm sure as someone who covers a team in the NFC West, you'd feel a lot more comfortable about the 49ers quarterback situation if they had drafted Mac Jones as opposed to Trey Lance. Would you not? Uh huh. Yeah, I was I was actively rooting for Mac Jones to be drafted. Of course you were, because he doesn't have the threat of using his legs, and that's easier to defend. It's the same thing with the 49ers. When Russ drops back, I get less nervous when he like hits his back foot and is throwing the ball. Because when he plays within structure, not that he doesn't hit big plays, because he does. But when he doesn't throw on that back step, when he starts to run around, then I'm like, oh, no, this is trouble. <laughs> like, this is bad. But that can't be your whole It can't offense. be every play. Yeah. Yes. And and I don't know if it's the height with Russ where it's just easier for him to see when he's out on the run or if he's just so used to being able to make good plays that he kind of defaults to that. 
But yeah, you need to be able to make some plays within the structure of your offense. I, I think he likes to be known for being that guy. And so it's kind of that default fallback. And and whether or not he's able to see better because of it, I, I think that might be a bonus. But I don't think that would be the primary reason. But I do okay. want to get back to 49ers because I, I want to talk about the defense as scary as the uh, the especially the front seven is for the 49ers. I'm curious, though, what you what you think about the new defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans. Now, he was the inside linebackers coach, so there is some familiarity there. But uh, what do you think that move is going to be for him being elevated to that Robert Sala role? It's it's scary for me because, like, he's never done it before. He's never been a defensive coordinator before. And you, you're just always better at something the more experience you have. But they are, if you listen to the 49ers, they are all in on it. Like, Kyle Shanahan talks about D'Amico Ryans as if he's already a head coach. Like, he says it's going to happen. Just, it's only a matter of time. Like, he plays it off whether he believes it or not he plays it off like he has zero worries about D'Amico Ryans as a defensive coordinator which does make me feel a little better because if you know about Kyle Shanahan he came up as a coach sitting in the defensive meetings with Monty Kiffin and Mike Tomlin and guys like that to learn how the defense works. That's part of the reason why Kyle Shanahan is such a good offensive coordinator because he can understand the rules of a defense. When I motion this guy here, how is your defense going to react? What's that going to do? And I think that experience factors into Kyle's decisions when he hires a defensive coordinator. So the fact that he's all in on D'Amico Ryans gives me a little bit of faith. Now, in terms of what I think we'll see, Ryan's has said that they're going to be more aggressive. Robert Sala almost never blitzed. He pretty much exclusively relied on the front four and sometimes maybe the front seven to get pressure on the quarterback. Bosa, D Ford, Buckner when he was there, when DeForest Buckner was there, Sala was like, you guys get the pass rush and I'll use everybody else in coverage. That was pretty much his MO. With D'Amico Ryans, I think you're going to see more blitzing from Fred Warner. I think you're going to see more, maybe some more blitzing from the secondary. Uh, he has said he's going to be more aggressive. So that'll be an interesting change because I think the, the defense is built to play more like Robert Sala. They want Bosa, and now it'll be Samson Abukum or maybe D Ford if he ever gets healthy enough to come back. <laughs> is D Ford still on the 49ers? I, I feel like I've never even seen him in a Niners uniform. I mean, he he missed, even in the Super Bowl year, I think he missed something like 85% of the snaps for the Niners. He was only on the field for 22% of the 49ers snaps that year. He's always hurt. It's, it's a neck-slash-back thing, mm -hmm. which is always scary. Now, again, they claim he's been working out and rehabbing, and they think he's going to get back on the field. I don't know. To me, if you get some combination of D Ford and Samson Mabukum providing the production that D4 did when they went to the Super Bowl, I'll take it. I don't care where it, which guy it comes from. Just give me some combination of that, and the Niners' defense will be okay. So that might be the biggest question on the defensive line then. Where do you think the next biggest question is for you on defense? Uh, on, well, to me, the whole defense centers around Nick Bosa because he allows them to play the way that they're built. If Bosa is back and healthy and stays healthy. Oh, see, you put if and healthy too damn, close to one another. Ah, uh, man. <laughs> I meant to say, if Bosa plays 17 games, uh, what that allows the Niners to do is it allows Eric Armstead, instead of having to come off the edge, he goes inside. And that's where, as a pass rusher, he's really effective. He's not really a very good edge rusher, but he's like a zillion feet tall. He's just a huge dude, and he can throw people out of the way in the interior defensive line. 
so then he becomes a much, much more effective pass rusher. That, in turn, I think will help Javon Kinlaw become a lot better because defense or offenses are going to be more concerned about Armstead and Bosa and dealing with them than they will with Javon Kinlaw. And the same thing as you continue moving along that defensive front, whether it's Ford or Samson Mabukum, those dudes aren't getting double teamed because you're you're going to double Bosa and you're going to double Armstead. And so if Bosa is there, his presence allows them to be the best version of themselves. I feel like the one breakout candidate in my mind on defense would be Kinlaw. Is, is there anybody else that you're that you would point to? Um, Kinlaw is number one. Um, they don't forget where they took him. Oh they yeah, took him very high in the draft, and they took him to replace DeForest Buckner, right. and then they let him wear DeForest Buckner's <laughs> number. So it's like literally, you want this guy to be DeForest Buckner. Uh, he needs to make a big jump for them to really play the way they want to play. A lot of people think Dre Greenlaw is going to make a big jump at linebacker. Obviously, Seahawks fans are very no, familiar with Dre Greenlaw. His, I don't want to hear his name. He, here's the thing. He's not that good. He's fine. He, don't, he was a fifth-round draft pick oh, for yeah. a reason. Yeah, and he, he tackled our uh, undrafted uh, tight end just you know three inches <laughs> short of the goal line to cost us an NFC West title, but yeah. Yeah, so I'm not buying into him as like making this giant leap. It's not going to be like a recreation of Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman for the 49ers at linebacker. That's just not happening. He's a fine player. He'll be fine. He'll make some mistakes. He doesn't seem to have great instincts. Um, so I don't look at him as a breakout candidate. If Jason Verrett's injury issues are behind him, he can be that guy. Because when he's on the field, he is Awesome. He is a lockdown number one, put him on an island type cornerback. And so that's going to be the question for him because he could easily break out and he's going to be a free agent next year, too, which I'm sure he would love to have that kind of year because then he's going to make some bank. Well, he was a free agent this offseason, wasn't he? And I, I feel like that the contract that they got him at is going to be a steal if he's able to play 17 games. 100%. They didn't think they were going to be able to bring him back, too. I think part of the reason that they were is because he gives the 49ers training staff a ton of credit for getting him right physically, for helping with his knee and, and getting him on a program to set him up for success. So I think he was basically like, no one's going to really believe in me to get the money that I want to get anywhere else. So why not stick around with the 49ers for one more year, prove to the league that I'm back, that I'm good, and then I'll go get the big bank. So I think this is probably the last year for Jason Verrett in a Niners jersey. So the training staff was focusing all their attention on Verrett, and that <laughs> allowed DJ Reed to, to slip away and the Seahawks to pick him up. Thank you. That is, I mean, look, no GM bats a thousand for sure, but that's that one hurts. There's been a lot of guys to go from the Niners to the Seahawks, but I really think that you got a good one there. I really do. Not like, you know, an all-pro corner, just a really damn solid player that the Niners... I mean, I regret I regret seeing him now in the Seahawks colors uh, when he put Mike McGlinchey on his ass, unbelievably. Um, so I, that's a good one for you. Yeah, well, fortunately, we are, are counting on him. Uh, I'm taking the wait-and-see approach with the Kello. I, I want to believe that he's going to be a starting guy. I just I'm going to need to see it to be sold. And yeah, a lot of questions, I suppose, for both teams going into the season. But uh, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be so much fun. Every NFC West matchup, you know, for years, it was like a weird triangle in the NFC West. The Seahawks always beat the 49ers. The Rams 
always beat the Seahawks and the 49ers always beat the Rams. So I don't know if that's still going to hold this year, but these games are going to be incredible and I'm looking forward to it so much. Well, you guys, uh, what do you got coming up on the SB Nation NFL show? You guys are going to be going division by division here in these next couple of weeks? Yes. So we are starting our breakdown from now until right up until the start of training camp, really. We're going to look at every division and we're going to pick our all-star lineups from that division. Uh, Wednesday is going to be the NFC North and we're going to be joined by Pro Football Hall of Famer John Randall as well. Nice. Former Seahawk John Randall. There we go. Wow. You, you had to sneak that in there. At the end. <laughs> Who well, thinks of John Randall Seahawks as Seahawks Hall of Famer John Randall, Seahawks <laughs> Hall of Famer Jerry Rice. Uh, oh, how dare you? <laughs> I got Blast to say that me. I got to say that to Eric Davis's face once, and that was uh, I I thought that he was well face uh, on the other side of a monitor, and I thought yeah. he was going to come through the monitor to to get me. <laughs> That's well done by you. Not going to lie, <laughs> he's Rob Stats Guerrera of the SB Nation NFL Show, also of the Niners Nation. Stats, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Stats for coming on the show to help preview the upcoming season. You can follow me on Twitter at SeahawkersPod. And one episode that I would encourage you to check out, yes, it's on the Niners Nation feed. But if you go to SBNation.com slash NFL Podcasts, subscribe to the SB Nation show or, or find it there and look for episode 46 because Stats and the other co-hosts there at Niners Nation did a really good breakdown of what is going on with Richard Sherman, a lot of the details that have come out. So if you're... If you're not dialed in on the news and you want to hear more about the the Richard Sherman story, they did a really nice job of breaking it down. And once I heard that, I knew that would be the place to send people to really get some of the best information on the issue on the SB Nation podcast network. So be sure and check that out. Also, head over to fieldgoals.com. Check out all the latest news up there. Lots to get into as we're really closing out this offseason because... Just a couple weeks away, we are going to have Seahawks players in training camp. Can't wait. We're going to have lots more here to talk about. And until then, go Hawks.